The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Psalm 30 is our focus. This is a Psalm that may not be famous in its entirety, but it has a very well-known line in it. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning or with the morning. Now, what I want to do is I've done with all the studies of the Psalms. We want to understand that sentence in context. Why did he say this? What does the entirety of Psalm 30 actually mean? So we'll begin by reading it in its entirety. So I invite you, if you would, to stand as I read God's word. Psalm 30. A psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me, O Lord, my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Let's pray. Lord, I recognize that those present and those listening online find themselves in all sorts of situations this day. There are some brothers and sisters who are gathered who are in deep difficulty. Some have just passed through. Some may have difficulty approaching without even knowing. We thank you that your word speaks so clearly. It is so practical that it speaks into our actual lives. So take Psalm 30, adjust and change our thinking and believing where it is wrong and lead us in the way everlasting, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. So here's the main point of this text. Difficult seasons are used by the Lord for our good and his glory. Now let's make sure we're reading the psalm in its context, flowing from chapter 29. I hope you've learned this as we work through the psalms. These psalms are connected may not be obvious at first, but they're connected. Now watch this. Verse 10, Psalm 29. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord 
gives strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people. Now last week, one of the things that we thought about is the sovereignty of God, that he's king, that he is Lord over everything. And this is the definition we offer. God always and without fail accomplishes his purposes. God always and without fail accomplishes his purposes. Now here's what I've found is I've interacted with the believing community in this part of the world. People believe God is sovereign over the world and that God's going to accomplish his purposes over the world. But when it comes to their lives, whoop, we push back. This psalm is very personal. And the sovereignty of God bleeds through the entire thing. So let me show you. Let, let's just do a little Bible study before we get started, okay? So just take your pen, and I want you to mark something. You're going to see something right off the bat here. You have drawn me up. See it, verse 1? You have drawn me up. Verse 2, you have healed me. Verse 3, you have brought up my soul. You restored me. So the focus here is on what God has done. Not what on we have done. Now we're going to deal with David's sin in this and we're going to deal with our sin. But the focus is not our sin. The focus is what God has done. That's where we find ourselves praising him. Now, difficult seasons are used by the Lord for our good and his glory. So the question is, how does God use them? This psalm is teaching what Hebrews 12 teaches, that there are times when God disciplines his children who are in sin. So this is an instance of how God has disciplined David and David has come to repentance. Now listen carefully to me. I am going to interpret this psalm. I'll try to offer some warnings throughout because here's what I found. I found a lot of people hear one teaching in the scripture and they apply it to everything. You cannot apply the discipline of God in some instances of difficulty to all difficulty. All difficulty is not the result of God's discipline. Some difficulty is simply the result that you live in a fallen sinful world, that you live in a broken world, that people sin and they sin against each other and it creates all kinds of mess around us. Another level of difficulty that we experience is that simply we're Christians and Christians experience difficulty for being Christians. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted. That's difficulty. So we need to make sure we separate these things out. All difficulty, whether it's discipline, the result of living in a fallen world, or the result of living as a Christian, all difficulty should lead us to prayer. All of it. And that's where we find David. Now, the title's very interesting. I think it's kind of confusing for some people, so let me try to help clear it up if I can. A Psalm of David, period, 
a song at the dedication of the temple period. Now, I wouldn't have known the answer to this question for many years as a Christian, so I don't expect that, that there probably few of you know the answer to this, but some of you do, so answer out loud. Was David present at the dedication of the temple? No, he wasn't. The dedication of the temple, the temple wasn't even built until after David was dead. So you gotta ask this question. Why did God's people sing this song at the dedication of the temple? Here's why. They understood that what God did in David's life personally, he did in the life of Israel collectively. That God had brought them from mourning to dancing. That God had forgiven them and set them free and allowed them to build the temple and they rejoiced in him. There's a holiday named after it. You know what it's called? Starts tomorrow. Hanukkah. This is a song of Hanukkah, still sung today, Psalm 30. It is a remembrance of God's mercy. Now, this psalm is kind of unusually put together. It has an outburst of praise, a confession of sin, and an outburst of praise. Usually what you find is confession of sin, outburst of praise, or outburst of praise and an explanation of how you got there. What's sandwiched in the middle of this is the confession of sin. So let's work around it and get to it. David first, David praises the Lord for healing and restoration from a difficult season. Now the difficulty likely here is some form of physical illness. It's not identified and we cannot be 100% certain, but most commentators believe that's the instance that he was healed, verse two, and this healing was probably something physical. It begins, I will extol you. Now, that's not a word you use very often. You're probably not going to get in the car today and use the word extol in a sentence. It means to raise up. I will raise you up, O Lord. Now, not that God needs raising up. He's exalted. But that we are identifying who he is and that we raise him up. Now, look at the beauty of the poetry when you understand that's what it means. I will raise you up, O Lord, for you have drawn me up. We exalt God because God has drawn us up. Literally, it's a word picture. It's drawing up a bucket out of a well. Now let's think of somebody who was in a well. His brothers cast him there. He was drawn up. Joseph, you have not let my foes rejoice over me. You've not let those who oppose me, my personal enemies, Rejoice over me. You've drawn me up, Lord. Verse two, oh Lord, my God. Look how personal that is. He doesn't just say, oh Lord. He says, oh Lord, my God. I cried to you for help. That's one word in the Hebrew. It's an intense cry. It's like a child crying to a parent, asking, pleading for help. Oh Lord, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. You have provided a cure for me. Now this can mean physically, but it also can mean spiritually. Oh Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol, from death. Notice the comparison back to verse one. You've drawn me up. What he's drawn up is my soul from Sheol. You have restored to me, me to life from among those who go down to the pit. 
So I, I'm no longer caught in sin and death. I've been restored. Now let's go over to the New Testament and see a New Testament explanation of what we see here at the beginning of Psalm 30. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And notice right off, again, when you get there, the sovereign work of God. He has delivered us. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's brought us up and transferred us. He's restored us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. This is the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation that he has delivered us from sin and the domain of darkness and restored us, transferred us, made us new and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son. We have been redeemed. We've been purchased from sin and we have received forgiveness. Now go back to Psalm 30. My last question now. How did God do this? Now let's read Psalm 30 through the lens of the gospel. For you have drawn me up and not let my foes rejoice over me. On Good Friday, the foes of Jesus Christ thought they had won. And three days later, God the Father drew him up from the grave. He cried in the garden for help and God restored him. He healed him and brought up his life, his soul from death and resurrected him unto life. And that same resurrection power has delivered all who are in Christ from the domain of darkness and has transferred every one of us to the kingdom of his beloved son and that same resurrection power can be applied to your dead heart today who can change you from darkness to light, from death to life. And when it happens, when it happens to you, there is a call that comes out. Verse four, sing praises to the Lord, O you saints, Give thanks to his holy name. Now we move from a personal testimony of verses one through three to an active call, a plural call that we together as the saints of God who have been brought from this domain of darkness and to the kingdom of his beloved son, that we are to give thanks to his holy name. Because here's what we understand, verse five. His anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. God's anger, wrath over our sin has been satisfied in the death and resurrection of Christ and now toward us is his favor. And this is not just an eternal favor, it is, but it is a lifetime favor. This affects how we live our lives. The, the anger was momentary compared to the acceptance the welcome, the delight we have from God. And here's what we realize. This comes from God himself. We didn't earn this. There's nothing that we did to deserve it. It is from God's 
hand. Now the famous sentence, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Brothers and sisters, you can only fully comprehend that in the resurrection of Jesus. Those weeping women who came to the tomb that morning came face to face with joy. The risen Christ. And the application of the power of the resurrection to our, our lives is that weeping, that difficulty, tarries for a night. It, it's short-lived. But joy comes in the morning. Now, this is a, a, a tad of an excursus. I'm, I'm leaving the flow of the psalm because i got to answer a question that's in some of your brains. It was in mine while I was studying how do you deal with ongoing difficulty? How do you deal with difficulty that never seems to lift in your life as a follower of Jesus? Or how about this question? Can you expect as a Christian that difficulty is coming to your life? Here's where James 1 speaks to these other, other categories of difficulty. Remember, I told you there were three. James says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, what is that? What is steadfastness? That God brings difficulty into our lives to further teach us to trust him. To look to him. Brothers and sisters, really the only difficulty between us and the unbelieving world is the perspective and the faith that we have. We still experience cancer. We still experience loss and death and difficulties in our families, and, and so many other things that go on out in the world. The difference is how we approach these things. We approach them through the lens of the resurrection of Christ, that weeping tarries for the night. This is temporary. Joy is coming in the morning. Now, let's go back to the flow of the song. Why is David weeping? David's weeping because David has sinned. Now, your brain probably immediately goes to Psalm 51 and what happens with Bathsheba. That has nothing to do with Psalm 30. Psalm 30 has nothing to do with his sin with Bathsheba. I'm going to show you what it is. David here embraces the difficult season as from the Lord for his good, and he repents. Now, here's his issue. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. Now, there are some, some people who disagree with the interpretation that I'm going to take, and I'm not going to explain to you all the technical Hebrew sides of that. But the consensus is this, that David, looking at the blessing of God in his life, got askewed, he got turned a little bit, and he started seeing God's blessing as the result of something he was doing. Started to believe his own press. Now, some people would tie this psalm to David doing the census. 
and the repentance that came after that. I'm not 100% convinced that's the case, but it's possible. Here's what is obvious, though. That, quote, the fumes of intoxicating success can get into our brains and make a fool of us. We can start to believe, man, I got the Midas touch. Everything I touch turns to gold. Now, this isn't just true of you. This is true of preachers in a big way. People in the ministry start to see God's blessing and they start to think, hey, man, God really needs me. Well, God's using me. And before you know it, we wander away from our trust and dependence on the Lord. Simply stated, things can go to our head and we can think we're something and adopt the position, I'm never gonna fail. I'm, I'm never gonna be moved. Now, David clears this up a little bit, the difference in verse seven. He says, by your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. Now the mountain here likely refers to the kingdom that God had established through David. So here's what David's saying. The kingdom is standing strong because of your favor, not because of me. It's because of what you're doing, God. Now, why would that be true? Because he's Yahweh. God has established a covenant with David that from his seed is coming the Messiah. God's going to see that this is done. But what God is not going to tolerate is for David to act like he's something. To act like he's the one that is the result of this. You hid your face. I was dismayed. I was terrified. I was out of his mind. So at some point, David comes to the realization that God is withholding his movement and his life, and it scares him. Quote, when sin is concealed, confession is silenced, and repentance is suppressed, the loving discipline of God is sure to come. I will repeat that. When sin is concealed, confession is silenced, and repentance is suppressed, then God's loving discipline is sure to come. Now think about this for a second. You go over to James when you're sick. By the way, this is how we operate. When you're sick, you call for the elders of the church to pray for you. That's on you to ask for. Now what's the first thing it says? Their sin will be forgiven. So when we anoint someone and we lay hands on them and pray for them, we ask this question before we proceed. Brother or sister, is there known sin in your life that you need to repent of? Because that's the thrust of the, why would we pray for you to be healed if you're harboring sin and God is disciplining you? Repent. You repent of your sin. You need physical healing, but you also need spiritual healing. Now, I'm going to ask a question again. Did I say that all sickness is a result of your sin? No. But it certainly is a question you ought to ask. Is there sin I'm harboring in my heart? 
Is there rebellion in my life that I will not confess and I will not repent of? Now, watch David confess and repent here. To you, O Lord, I cry. To the Lord, I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. I don't deserve this. Be merciful to me. This is an expression of repentance. O Lord, be my helper. This is the same language used by the tax collector in Luke 18. When he stands afar off and he beats his breast and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The feeling of the pain of discipline. David cried to the Lord, not on the basis of anything that he had done. He's not pointing to say, God, look at what I did in the past. You've got to forgive me. No, he is crying for God's mercy. Now let's go to Psalm 51, which is a confession as it resulted to a sexual sin in David's life. Psalm 51. By the way, while you're turning there, this is not an excuse to sin, but here's what ought to be comforting to you. That God would take a man who struggled with sin to write so much of the Bible. That ought to, that ought to help you. So you. Some of you discount yourself from being able to move toward the Lord because of your struggle with sin. Our struggle to, with our sin should drive us to the Lord. That's what it did with David. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. You don't ever see David trumping up things he did in the past to say, hey, God, you need to forgive me because of what I did for you. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Quote, let every saint be quick to agree with God about his sin. Let every saint be quick to agree with God about his sin. Now, when we do and we cry for forgiveness, we know that God readily and quickly gives. So the last part we see is David rejoices and gives thanks to the Lord for the Lord's mercy and help. You have turned for me my morning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Now that phrase, that my glory means my whole being. That my whole being may sing your praise and and not be silent. Oh, see again, he's personal. Oh Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Now most of us don't know what sackcloth is. Very uncomfortable clothes. They were distinct. They were worn by people after the death of someone. It was saying, now people wear black now, or they used to. It was saying, I'm in mourning. These clothes were mourning. They were thick and heavy and people would wear them. They would also be worn in times of mourning over sin collectively for the nation of Israel. He's saying that, look at at the sovereign hand of God here. You loosed my sackcloth. I didn't take it off. You did. I think about my kids when they were little. You ever see your kids get hung up in their clothes? It's kind of funny, but anyway. They just put their hands up. You take it off, put new clothes on them. That's the image I got right here. You loosed it. You removed it. And then then you clothed me. You clothed me with gladness, with joy, and with jubilation. Now, my mind has just, I couldn't get away from Luke 15 with this. So I want you to turn there with me. I, I could not get away in my mind with the picture here of the prodigal son. 
So the prodigal son came to his father, said he wanted his inheritance. He took it and blew it on sinful living. He finds himself eating pig slop. And the scripture says he came to himself and he said, my, my father's servants eat better than me. I'm going to go home and ask my father if I can be a servant. And I'm picking up in verse 20. He arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the breast robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. That's the image of Psalm 30. When he removes his sackcloth, he puts a new robe on you and he celebrates that my son that was dead is alive again. He's lost, he's found. Now we, we skip the last five words in verse 24. And they began to celebrate. That includes the son. Can you imagine what that day was like for him? Thinking his dad was going to be mad, give him a lecture and send him out back and tell him what a failure he was. Instead, his dad runs out to him, embraces him, and puts new clothes on him and throws a party. Now, now, the parable is not actually about the son. Most people don't know this. The parable is about the older brother. Because the older brother comes home and he thinks, what's, what's going on here? He calls a servant out and the servant tells him that your brother's come home. He won't go in the house. He tells his father to come out. He says, I, 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 I have done, I have done, I have done. How dare you? You see, Jesus told this parable for the religious people. For those of you in this room right now who think you've got it all together spiritually, and if the rest of the people of the world just act like you, they'd be fine. None of you in this room have it together. Stop believing your own press. The only good in you is from God. It's from him. It is by his grace and his mercy that you have been saved. By his grace alone. This is the message of the Bible. Don't turn, I'm reading. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And here it is. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2, 4 to 6. Now this demands a so what? This demands a response. So I'm asking it in a form of a question. Am I rejoicing and giving thanks to the Lord for his mercy and help? And let me speak to those of you who would have to honestly answer, no, I'm not. So I'm going to ask you a question. Why is that? 
And I say this with compassion toward you. Some of you could grit your teeth and say, you don't understand my life. I don't. You don't understand the life of Jesus. For your sake, he became sin. You think it's bad for you? It was infinitely worse for him on the cross. He understood you so well that he came and he died in your place. He took it for you. You say, okay, why has he let so much bad happen in my life? Think of how much bad happened to him. He was God. A sinful world killed a sinless Savior. A sinful world is a hard place to live. It's a difficult place to live. And here's what you learn as a Christian. You move through these seasons of ups and downs, difficulty and high times, low times, sick times, well times. But in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all that, God is God. He's Lord. Psalm 40. I want to say so much with Psalm 40. When I get there, I'll tell my story at length. Verse 16. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. He is my help. And for all who are in Christ, he is your help. He gives you what you need in any circumstance and through any difficulty at any time. Difficulty will not get the last word. Why? Because he is my deliverer. He delivers from sin and death. In 30 years of pastoral ministry, I have stood at the bedside of more saints who drew their last breath than I can now remember. There's a constant theme that's run through that. Whether they've been peaceful moments where people just slowly faded off and died or the hard ones have been those difficult moments where people fought for their last breath and it was hard to watch and hard to see. Underneath both of them, even though the tears came and flowed with the family, underneath both of them, as we stood at the bedside and read scripture and sang hymns and praised God, there was a joy. Why? Why? Because death does not get the last word. Weeping lasts for the night. Joy comes in the morning. 
Now, how do we know this to be true? Because the resurrection power of Christ has been applied to our hearts and lives, and we have gone from death to life. We have been converted. We have been saved. You say, well, I haven't. Then today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Confess your sin and cry out to Christ to deliver you. Be honest like David. Say to the Lord, I can't save myself. There's nothing good in me. Only you can save me. I confess my sin, Lord Jesus. I repent of my sin. I trust in you. Save my soul. And when you cry out to him, you'll be brought from death to life. Now, I want to call on the church. We're going to sing a song. This is a fairly new song. You called my name and I ran out of that grave. I want you to get this. You weren't sitting around at home one day and deciding, you know, my life's pretty bad in sin. I'm going to stop. No. You were a dead man like Lazarus. And the king walked to the grave and said, Lazarus, come out. He called my name and I ran out of that grave. So brothers and sisters, rejoice. And for those of you who don't know Christ, I pray that you'll be impacted by the joy of the Christians in this room. So much so that you'll be convicted of your need for him and you'll run to him today. For those of you in difficulty, I'm not belittling it at all. We have pastors and ladies will be over here to my sides. They have a lanyard around their neck. They are there to pray with you. Both now and after the service, we're available. You respond to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. God, today in so many ways in the lives of people, I've seen the evidence of your grace the new brothers and sisters in our church who've just come to faith, those whom you're dealing with, the saints of God who've been walking with you for decades. God, the evidence of your grace is all around us. Now, Lord, I pray that your joy would well up in us and that we would sing to the King, the one who has brought us up, the one who has called us out. May you be exalted in this place in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.